Hello, listeners. This is Rachel and Roy of Family 360. We taped this interview with Rafi early 2020 when information on the COVID-19 virus was in its infancy. Here we are almost two months later, and at the time of this episode's release, we're experiencing a pandemic. It felt appropriate to acknowledge our current global condition before launching into this episode. However, in this episode, Rafi speaks passionately about global awareness and our need to unite together as a global family in our care and honoring of each other. So in many ways, this is a timely conversation with the committed hope Rafi has for children, the earth, and our future. We hope you find this episode encouraging and uplifting. So thank you to Rafi. And thank you for listening. Thank you. Rafi Kavukian, known simply as Rafi to his millions of fans, is a children's troubadour. He's spent the last four decades advancing respect for the earth and respect for children, believing these occur in a simultaneous and symbiotic relationship. Rafi has devoted himself to child honoring. By aligning with the UN Convention on the Rights of a Child, he offers his platform as a singer and author to recognize the importance of childhood and to cherish the contributions of the young as necessary to our shared humanity. So, Rachel, did you grow up on Rafi's music? I did, which made it a real thrill to get to meet him. It was great to meet him. We took a ferry and went to Salt Spring Island Mm -hmm. on a wintry, snowy day. He was so welcoming. He was so welcoming. We sat in his living room and we overlooked the Gulf Islands and we just had a wonderful conversation. Yeah, he's a lovely, gentle, kind man. And very, very knowledgeable. Um, Mm. He just loves books and loves to read. Yeah, four honorary doctorates. I didn't realize that going in, actually. That and is... he didn't tell us. We looked that up afterwards. <laughs> but he's so humble. I mean, yeah. case in point, we saw his double gold album framed, used as a prop to keep his dog yeah. off the stairs. <laughs> off the stairs, I know. Amazing that he's held the title as the world's best-selling and most influential children's entertainer in the English-speaking world. Yeah, and he's not stopping there. His venture now is continuing into his Rafi Foundation for Honoring Children. He's a man that does not stop. No, It's inspiring. No. When you're very young, your job as a young human is to interact, play with, get messy in, and enjoy the three-dimensional wonders. Your job is to feel the slow rhythms of the seasons, to be dreamy in a slow summer. That's your job. I'm Rachel Cram. And I'm Roy Salmon, and welcome to Family 360. Conversations exploring life together. Well, Rafi, thank you so much for allowing us to come over to Salt Spring Island for this interview. It's such a pleasure to speak with you today. It's wonderful to meet you and have this conversation. Thank you. Baby Beluga in the deep blue. Well, this is the 40th anniversary of Baby Beluga, which is amazing. 40 years. Yes, a little white whale on the go. And a little white whale on the go. Exactly. <laughs> baby beluga, baby beluga. Is the water warm? Is your mama home with you so happy? When you started, did you have any idea when that song came out how long it would last? The reach that it would have? No. <laughs> Short answer. Short answer. No, how could I? In 1979, when I wrote it, 
I had heard about whales being in uh, some trouble in the oceans and there was a save the whale movement, but I didn't want to write a lament. Mm. I wanted to write a love song because when a young child loves an animal like a beluga, of course they grow up feeling protective. Mm. So that was the idea. Mm. And then my wife at the time, I was married to a wonderful kindergarten teacher and she said, make the song about a baby whale. And I said, why? And she said, well, children love babies. <laughs> so I was fortunate that I took her advice. Your children's music does have an open poeticness to it that does allow it to expand. I think that song probably has shifted in the minds of people. And that's part of what we want to talk about today. But before we get to that, I'd love to start with a question that we open with for many of our interviews and just hear a little bit more about who you are as a person. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. Aristotle stated, give me a child at seven. And I will show you the adult. So Rafi, I'm wondering, is there a story or an experience from your childhood that has shaped the adult that you are today? <laughs> I'm tempted to answer no, but that wouldn't be true. Um, so I was born in Cairo of Armenian parents and came to Canada when I was 10 years old. And I had to learn a whole new culture. I had music and storytelling in my childhood. My father was a brilliant artist, painter, and internationally renowned photographer. But before that, he was a singer with a very rich voice. I sang with him in the Armenian Church Choir in Toronto mm -hmm. for a few years. And uh, he was uh, an accordion player. My mother used to rave about Arto's accordion playing. Oh, the tango, she would say. When Arto played the tango, she'd shake her head. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I came from his musical side and then my mother's storytelling. Oh, she could keep you wrapped with stories. And I think both influences have played well in my career. Wow. <laughs> the first time I ever heard you was on Mr. Dress Up. And you sang a song, <laughs> you, you brushed your teeth song. And I, exactly. And I sung that through my whole childhood as I brushed my teeth and I have no cavities today. So I'd like to thank you for that. <laughs> but growing up with your music, there was always a real thread of understanding of identity in there, I think. And I wonder, is part of that a result of being an immigrant and coming that's, to a new country? Yes, that's insightful, actually, because as a teenager, I thought about identity a lot because my parents were trying to protect the Armenian culture that they wanted their children to grow up in, know more about. But here I was with the universal mind and heart that beat inside my chest. I was thinking, well, wait a minute, every culture has its great authors, poets, architects. Being Armenian doesn't make you superior. Mm. So there was quite a tension there between the old and the new. Yeah, how did that land for your parents? Well, I think my curiosity prevailed in the sense that I went where I had to go with my inquiry into identity. And then part of the strength of being an immigrant in a, in a new land is that you bring the eyes of the other into this culture. You can be more critical as you look around. One of the things I remember my brother and I first noticed when we went to school in Canada was we said to each other, wow, what a great place. The teachers don't hit you. Mm. And... In fourth grade, I'd forgotten my lunch, and Mrs. McKinnon actually offered me her sandwich. I still remember that kindness. Your music holds a real call to kindness and a real call to connection, and in a language that is accessible to children, but it's also 
very resonant for adults as well. I'm thinking of songs like Everything Grows and All I Really Need and Like Me and You. All those songs, like Dr. Seuss, I think, and other really strong authors, it speaks to children, but it also speaks profoundly to the adults that are reading along with them or, or singing along with them. Was that part of your plan from the beginning? Did you intend to speak to both children and adults at the same time? Well, I certainly was aware that adults would be around when children were listening to my, what we used to call my records. So I not only sang with respect for the young child, my guiding light has been that word respect and all that it stands for, but also I learned that what kids need is for someone who meets them halfway, you don't try and wow them and, you know, impress them. You, you're impressed by their intelligence, so you sing and play to that. You as and, the performer are imp- yes. impressed by the intelligence of the child. Yes, of course. If you, you know, Once I started studying early childhood, I saw it as a gateway into understanding my own becoming the person that I became. But more importantly, early childhood, that time and place that we all came from. It is a time and place of wonder, curiosity, the theater of the mind. It is a place where you try on the world for size through play, through imitation. So critically important because you're making pictures in your mind of how you want things to be, how you want the world to be, how you see yourself moving in the adult world. It's a magical thing. It's a world of wonders. Your book, Light Web, Dark Web, it advocates for concerns of the screen world, the tech world, wanting to protect wonder and imagination, especially for children. Yes, because when you're very young, your job as a young human is to interact, play with, get messy in, and enjoy the three-dimensional wonders. That's your job. Your job at the age of three or four or five is to feel the slow rhythms of the seasons, to be dreamy in a slow summer. It's not to respond to hyperspeed digital shiny tech devices. Yeah. I, I think what we're guarding is the exploratory mind and young children think outside the box because they don't know that any box exists. That's the fear I think often with screen is you're starting to limit that exploratory mind. I've heard in another interview, you said, we're born with radical inquiry and it behooves us to question what we don't understand. Your songs invite and encourage a probing mind as well as your practice. And I heard this story that you told about a three-year-old boy asking a very probing question when you were doing a concert. I wonder if you can tell that story because I just thought that's a great example of how you live it as an adult. Mm. You don't just preach it, you live it. It was a a concert where I came back on stage for an encore. And as the applause died down, a young voice from the front called out, why is he coming back? (laughs) Because he doesn't know what an encore is. Exactly. So everyone in the theater laughed except me. Hmm. I guess I was channeling my inner Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. (laughs) I said, actually, when you think about it, that's a very good question. And I turned to where I thought, the question was coming from, and I said, thanks for asking, because as far as you knew, I had sung my last song, because I had said it was my closing song, and then I'd walked off the stage. I said, sometimes when a concert goes really well, people keep on singing with the hope that you'll come back for another song, and that's why I came back. 
Mm-hmm. And that's just a beautiful example of honoring the child. We want to laugh in these situations because we're charmed by the sweet naivety of the question. <laughs> but it's yeah. not about that. No, exactly. Young children are humanity's primary learners. Evolution has seen fit for that time to be the time when the most sophisticated tasks are learned. Early childhood is the most important time in the human lifetime, developmentally speaking, because it seems to set the whole emotional tone of being for us with a lifetime of outcomes, either positive or negative. So to simplify it, if you are a young child, impressionable as you are, and you experience your early years, your first taste of life as a series of constraints and and ridicule and this, that, and the other maltreatment, my goodness, you're going to be constrained in your joy for life. Mm. There's going to be a contraction within you of sorts as you defend yourself. Mm. Comparatively speaking, if your early years are life-affirming in the sense that you see yourself in the loving, respectful mirror that your adult caregivers and extended family are holding up to you, then you feel seen and heard for who you feel you are. Mm. And that can lead to a lifetime of positive outcomes, to the true self growing in confidence, and no false self is needed to act out in maladaptive ways just to say, see me, because you already feel seen. Well, I think part of this ties into how we've understood children, because 40 years ago when you were starting, we were working with B.F. Skinner, who was talking about us all being blank slates, um, a very much a behaviorist approach. Mm -hmm. You started at a time when everything was very much based on a rewards and punishment way of raising children. And the language that you're using right now is that children need to be seen and heard for what they are as whole people right now as a child. That's why respectful love is the first principle of my child honoring philosophy. Mm. Not just any kind of love, certainly not coercive love or overbearing love, respectful love. Everybody's got a love bug deep inside. Everybody's got a love bug for their own. Everybody's got a love bug. The word love, I think, has gotten so misshapen in our world. Love bug, love bug for their own. In every age, I think, artists come forward and redefine love. Love is uh, one of those mysterious, infinite powers that sung about, written about. We are essentially creatures of love. That's what we're here for. We are craving love because it's an irreducible and universal need. Mm. Mahama Gandhi has this quote. He says, if we want to reach real peace in the world, we must begin with the children. Mm -hmm. And your work, Rafi, emphasizes simultaneous sustainability of earth and child. And I can see how honoring the earth honors children by giving them a home to live in, hopefully for a long future. How does honoring children honor the earth? Ah, good question. I think children who know themselves to be capable agents of creation, 
children who know their place in the wondrous world because they have celebrated the world of wonders from a young age and being guided to do so and inspired to do so are less likely to trash their surroundings. Mm -hmm. I think we can teach sustainability from a very young age. Kids have, well, they have an unadulterated view of things <laughs> in a mm -hmm. sense. And, and they have a generosity that doesn't get enough credit. We know now that 90% of our values, our attitudes, our beliefs are formed before we're five years old. So the work that you have done is so profound, as millions of children have listened and grown up with your albums. I've heard you quote a poet that I love as well, John O'Donohue, saying, infants come fresh from the eternal. What, what does that stir in you? Uh, well, Khalil Gibran wrote a beautiful book called The Prophet, in which he says some amazing things. One of them is, your children come through you, but they're not of you, which is interesting for a guy who's thought about identity for a long time, mm. because we come through our biological parents, he's saying, but we're not of them. That's profound. So for me, at one point, the question, who am I, changed into a deeper one. Whose am I? Mm. I'm a child of creation. So this is quite big because if you understand your biological roots, which are important, of course, but you also understand that you are from a grandeur that transcends your biological roots, that's It changes huge. everything. Yes, it does, exactly. Our uniqueness is what we have in common. We share this. So you're as unique as I am. Your stories are as unique as mine are. That's the paradox of being human. No babies, fingerprints are the same with anybody in the whole wide world of 7.3 billion people. Now, how wondrous is that? That's an indication that our uniqueness matters. Well, there's this dance with diversity that we do throughout our whole lives, and that is for your beluga grads, as you call us, people that have grown up on new music to reckon with, that there is this diversity that we need to celebrate. Does that carry on from what you're saying there? Well, diversity is the second principle of child honoring. If you're curious about the world, you've got to be curious about other cultures. Why fear them when you can find them interesting? Mm -hmm. Why not be curious about, you can say, oh, you do it that way. Oh, those are the foods you love. Can I taste that? Here's the great joy of child honoring. Here's the positive vision. If you think about a six-month-old baby in a number of different cultures, that child with different colored skin, different facial features, from different ethnicities and regions of the world, it's the same physiological being. We are essentially the same physiological beings at the start of life. Hello, that's wonderful. Secure in the knowing of how much we have in common. We can then celebrate our differences because they're interesting. This is the glory of being human. And we get to celebrate and enjoy it. I remember in 1985, I wrote a song called Like Me and You, where I named children. I, I think it was uh, Janet yes, Lives in yes. England. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Janet Lives in England. Pierre lives in France, Bonnie, Bonnie lives, lives in, Canada. in Canada. So the chorus of that song 
says each one is much like another and each one is much like another a child of a mother and a father a very special son or daughter a lot like me and you a lot like me and you Kofi lives in Ghana Rahim lives in Iran Rosa lives in Paraguay. Knowing that songs and that music is such a wonderful instrument for connection, Rafi, as you go into this next chapter of your life with your child honoring philosophy and, and program, how are you tying connection in there? Well, child honoring is all about connection, actually. If we are serious in our desire to give our best to the young, we need to know the interconnected world that they live in, and it behooves us to understand the connection between person, culture, and planet. As I was preparing for this interview, a visualization that came to me of you was that of an artist who paints in different forms in different periods of their life, because I think child honoring is what you've always been about, and you painted in one way, maybe during your first decade, and mm. it's changed, and maybe this is your cubism period right now. But I think that, I, I think that <laughs> you, you've always been painting that. You've mm. always been painting that. And it's exciting to watch how you continue to, to put forth beauty into the world. Well, thank you so much for saying that. It's wonderful to have some of what I'm doing sort of mirrored back to me in this way. Currently, what I'm really excited about is what my foundation spent over a year developing. It's an online course in child honoring that people can take at their own pace. You know, as you start with respectful love as the first principle, you do find as you go through all the principles that the word respectful shines through all of them, which is really interesting. Mm. You hold a unique space, I think, in the political landscape to be able to say things that might sound political, but they're not really political at all because they're coming out of your deep and obvious love and care for children. And the love has grown out of the care. Thank you, yes. Because without exception, every single one of us is here to love. Every single one of us needs love as an entitlement. We are entitled to love because we need it developmentally. This is not a frill. Every single one of us from any culture is the same. That's what we need. We need respectful love. I don't know how much plainer it can be. We cry because we're sad. We, we lose someone. We're in grief. These are all human attributes. So, in 1979... The UN dubbed that year the International Year of the Child, that 10 years later culminated in the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. As we celebrate the 40th anniversary of Baby Beluga, the song and the album, and I was aware of that, I wrote, All I really need is a song in my heart, food in my belly, and love in my family. So it's about the basics of life, which are, again universal song in one's heart food in the belly love in the family all i really need is a song in my heart food in my belly love in my family all i really need 
a song in my heart Love in my family And I need some clean water for drinking And I need some clean water for drinking Whether you live in Flint, Michigan or First Nation communities that still have water issues, that becomes not just a line in a song, that's life or death. And I need some clean air for breathing. And I need some clean air for breathing. Whether you live in a place that's choked with wildfires or you live in New Delhi where people are wearing masks just to get around. So that I can grow up strong, take my place where I belong. All I really need is a song in my heart, love in my family. These are the real basic needs of life. All I really need. So that song, All I Really Need, was written in that universal spirit. What's a song that every child in the world could sing? Ah, this one. If you look in the articles of the UN's Convention on the Rights of the Child, three tenets are core, and they are protection of children, provision, and participation. There's an African proverb that says, the young trees are the forest. So protection, provision, participation, mm. child honoring, there it is. With that participation, I think we're starting to hear that more because I think the voices of children have always spoken out. But you know, thinking Greta Thunberg, you've even written a song inspired by her, the Parkland yes. Kids with gun violence. Yes, exactly. Um, the exactly. Sophie Cruz, when she ran to see the Pope. I think the media now is covering it more. I think, mm. I think children have always spoken out. Well, and Billie Eilish, who mm. won five Grammys, 18 years old, talks about not being able to sleep at night because of her fears for the future. This is the global climate emergency that we now find us in, which oddly enough may have a a unifying way about it. Yeah, you've called this the Third World War. I'm saying we're in a climate World War III, a war of survival, a truly multinational war that's cooperative, unlike any other war. And this is one that we could all enlist. Mm, Reclaim what war means. Mm Mm-hmm. A war of survival so that our children can sleep at night, so that they can dream of futures, because our future is in jeopardy. Do we love enough to change the world such that we go from polluting ways to clean energy economy? And we must do it quickly in the next 10 years. 10 years to secure the future in the climate decade of the 2020s. Join the climate revolution. Enlist today. That might be our last word. If only I could say it with feeling. (laughs) (laughs) That Arminian blood, it just comes out, right? Full of passion. (laughs) 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 So Rafi, sadly, we're going to need to start to wrap up this conversation. I'm just wondering, is there one last thought you want to share as we nurture the universal child in our children, but in ourselves as well? Thank you for asking. Well, it's been said that the messages that I'm now sharing have been there all along in my songs. I would say maybe that's true, but certainly there's an urgency to this moment that is very new in the global climate emergency that we share. In emergencies, you need emergency responders. So at this point in time, we have the technological means to create a society, 
whose energy comes from renewable sources. We have that. It's how quickly will we make the transition? That's the only question now. Dream big, act bold, so that we can collectively and individually respond to the emergency. That is love in action. That is responsibility. That is your power. I invite you. Hmm. I invite you to join me. Rafi, thank you so much for the passion you put into this interview, for the years that you have spent pouring into our lives, and for what you're doing now. Thank you. I'm honored to speak with you. Thank you. When we were talking on the ferry on our way home from Salt Spring mm-hmm. Island, we both marveled at Rafi's gentle spirit and... And a kind of innocence. Yeah. Not in a naive way or a childish way, but in a childlike way. He's chosen to align himself with children, which is really beautiful. And it's impactful. Yeah. And in the days after the interview, I thought of a quote that was spoken about the poet Mary Oliver. Who we knew he liked because we saw her books in his bookshelf, so this makes it even more fitting. So this made me think of Rafi. Okay. The capacity and willingness to become small, to acknowledge the primacy of the living world and to open oneself up completely to the life of the world and to do so without any aim beyond the simple pleasure of the gesture itself. Such unselfconscious simplicity and innocence can become the foundation of a more responsive and reciprocal way of being in the world. Isn't that lovely? It is. And that's really what Rafi is all about. Through his music and his concerts and his albums. And now through his child-honoring philosophy and program. Yeah. I feel like we need to bring him back for an encore, Roy. Well, kind of hard because he's not here. We've been home. Here at the studio. So why don't we bring him back for an encore with one of his songs that he introduced in the interview? Yeah. Something meaningful to him. Hmm. One Light, One Sun was a fun song to write. I thought for a long time about how this same star that lights us, warms us, does so without prejudice. The sun does not exclude anyone. An ideal ending to this episode with Rafi. Mm -hmm. One light, one sun, one sun lighting everyone. One world turning one world turning everyone one world one home one world home for everyone one dream one song one song heard by everyone Everyone, 
One hope, one joy, one love filling everyone. One light, one sun, one sun lighting everyone. One light warming everyone. I'm Rachel Cram. I'm Roy Salmond, and thank you so much for listening to Family 360. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe. Rate the show, leave a comment, and tell a friend. To continue these conversations, find us at Family 360 on our website, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'd love to journey with you.